1: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 35th verse, and extending on into chapter 10 through verse 8. If you're following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on pages 790 and 791. Listen to the word of God. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness." When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles, first Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus; Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen.
0: Well, I'm back after a week of family vacation, and I know I'm supposed to say how glad I am to be back, but I am sincerely glad to be back in worship with you. I don't know how many of you might have caught the irony of this last week. In my absence last Sunday, I asked the Reverend Allie Osborne to preach for me while I was on vacation, and then later... In the same week, a tribe of Baptists declared that she had no right to be here. Uh, I just need to say before preaching today, uh, how proud I am of this church and your stand of including women in ministry, and I need to say uh, how proud I am to stand along female colleagues in this work who feel called to this odd and beautiful calling. And I salute them uh, today as they step into pulpits and proclaim the good news. If I am not mistaken, it has been probably three to four weeks since I've said anything about my last summer sabbatical. So are y'all up for another story about uh, travel? One of the things that struck me when we were in Europe was how prevalent and popular the religious art. It seemed to be everywhere and far more popular than I expected. It turns out that people will buy tickets and stand in line, long lines, to see somebody else's expression of an encounter with God. For instance at the Vatican we are in a packed room. It felt like a a New York subway ride. We were just Pack in watching people stare and point and ooh and ah over the majesty of somebody else's expression of God's power. And it was not like the Vatican was the only place to see old and beautiful religious art. It was everywhere. Churches, museums, plates, postcards, decks of cards. I mean everywhere. You enter a cathedral. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John carved in ivory. Twelve apostles in tapestry. Magnificent oil paintings. Marble statues ten feet tall. And after you've seen about nine bigger than life depictions of Simon Peter in ten foot marble or twenty foot mural, it can be easy to forget that these early Jesus followers were just folks. Just common folks with itchy scalps and childhood regrets and indigestion. I mean, folks. They can easily slip into becoming religious icons, sources of holy artistic inspiration, venerated by the years. Stained glass can color people more holy than they actually were. And Matthew's gospel does not want us to fall into that trap. When Matthew lists the twelve apostles, it is unvarnished. The list includes a reminder that the apostle Matthew was a tax collector. A reminder that Judas Iscariot was the one who betrayed Jesus. And beyond the list, we know that the night when Jesus was arrested, this group, this hand-picked group of followers, none of them stood by him. Not one lifted a finger to defend him except for the hothead Simon Peter who pulled out a sword and cut off a guy's ear. Well, it hardly seems fair that... (laughs) Some of these apostles who have been enshrined and revered throughout history, some of them apparently did nothing but show up. What do you know about Thaddeus or Simon the Cananean? Not a thing. You see what I'm pointing to? We've got, we've got. All of these guys glowing from the stained glass window, and at least two of them never do or say anything that gets written down. One of them has anger management issues. One was a despised tax collector. Another betrayed Jesus for a sack of coins. In other words, they are a messy mix of folk. Just like us. They were ordinary Just called to do extraordinary things. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been about the cities and villages, preaching and teaching. And when he sees the gathered crowd of want and need, it stirs in him his compassion. They're helpless and beleaguered. Nobody to lead them. There's so much pain in the world. And Jesus is, at this time, limited space and time. He is, when he was on earth, one man who could be at one place at one time and the need was just too great. So, he says to this ragtag gaggle of Galilean followers, the harvest is great, but there aren't enough workers for a harvest of this size. So, Jesus commissions and sends out this group of 12 ordinary folks. Apostle translates the one who is sent. He sent 12 ordinary, untrained people who were not at the time the 12 apostles of marble statuary, oil on canvas masterpiece. They were a group of uneducated, mostly fishermen. Who were called to go where Jesus sent them to go. Just go. When I finished seminary I I signed up to do a unit and then another year's worth of work as a hospital chaplain uh, at Emory University affiliated hospitals in a program called CPE clinical pastoral education. So, We finished seminary in North Carolina. Melissa and I packed up the Ford Pinto, drove to Atlanta. I got involved in my first assignment at Crawford Long Hospital in Midtown. The first day of this program was a day of introduction. We showed up. um, I was in a cohort of learners, a group of about eight of us I guess, that we were going to go through this program together. We showed up with our pencils sharpened and ready to learn all about it. The first day was introduction. We got the history of Crawford Long Hospital including the scandal that it was being built so far from downtown. It was 1931. Did you know that Crawford Long Hospital became part of the Emory system under Dan Barker's leadership when he uh, was president of Crawford Long Hospital? We, We learned that day about the history of the CPE movement, training ministers for pastoral care since the 1920s. We toured units of the hospital. You get it. It's just an overall introduction kind of day. But then at the end... Our supervisor, Hal, handed us out a printout of our units. This is the unit where you'll be assigned to do pastoral care. Before you leave today if you'll go see all the people on your pre-op list, that is people who are scheduled for surgery tomorrow, if you'll go make a pastoral visit to them once you've done that you are free to go for the day." Well, I panicked. I mean, we, we learned about the history of Crawford Law. We hadn't learned anything about what to say in a hospital visit. What do you say to somebody who's scheduled for surgery the next day? I don't know. This is not how I'm wired. If, if I, I, I'm going to need a year of ballroom dancing lessons before you get me on the floor, right? I don't want to do anything that's going to embarrass me. I need some training about how to make a hospital visit. I mean, sweats rolling down. I'm... I'm a, I'm a wreck. They want me to just go do this. I start asking questions. How? What, what do I do? What, what do we say? How do we make a first visit? What do I say to what, when I walk in? Do I introduce myself as somebody on the chaplain staff? If there's a nurse in there, do I just wait till the nurse is through? I, I am a wreck. What, what if they don't even want to visit? And when I got through stammering, Hal said, Doc, they can't wait till you're good at it. They're scheduled for surgery tomorrow. (laughs) Jesus looked at this helpless crowd full of need and it moved him and compassion overcame him. And he committed his followers to go into that broken world as agents of healing. There is so much pain out there and it cannot wait. They can't wait till you're good at it. He told them to proclaim the good news, and not one of them had had a preaching class. He told them to cure the sick, and and my favorite, he told them to raise the dead, and I'm pretty sure all of them were novices at this. Cleanse those with skin disease, cast out demons, do all of this without payment, you've been blessed by the love of God, you're to be agents of that love in the world. Jesus says you received without payment, give without payment. Now I didn't want to make a hospital visit without feeling completely competent. And Jesus told an ordinary group of guys who smell like fish that he wants them to go out there and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. This is our job. This is our mission. Compassion is our mission. This is a job that Jesus' follower can't avoid. Whether or not we feel ready, trained, competent, or comfortable, you and I have a role to play in curing the sick, casting out demons, and raising the dead. The author Frederick Beatner talks about a really dark time in his life when one of his children was very sick. And he said that his worry for her made him about as sick as she was. And one day a friend of his called, a friend who lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, called and said that he was staying at an inn just 20 miles or so from Beekner's home in Rupert, Vermont, and asked if he could come over and just spend a day with two or two with Beekner. And the friend didn't say anything ahead of time about making the 800-mile journey from Charlotte to Vermont because he knew that Beekner would try to talk him out of it, that he would dare do something that crazy. But he made the trip, then he called him, and they spent a couple of days together. Here's what Beekner had to say about the visit. For a day or two he was there with me. He was there for me. I don't think anything we found to say to each other amounted to very much. There was nothing particularly religious about it. I don't remember even spending much time talking about my troubles with him. We just took a couple of walks, had a meal or two together, and smoked our pipes. I drove him around to see some of the countryside, and that was about it. I have never forgotten how he came all that distance just for that. And I'm sure he's never forgotten it either. I also believe that, although as far as I can remember, we never so much as mentioned the name of Christ. Christ was as much in the air we breathed those few days as the fragrance of our pipes was in the air or the dappled light of the woods we walked through. I believe that for a little time we both of us touched the hem of Christ's garment. I know that for a little time we both of us were healed. They were healed. That's interesting language. He said they were healed. Cure the sick raise the dead, cast out demons. We don't know that Thaddeus or Simon the Canaanian did any more than this guy did. Did any more than just show up. Jesus has the power to do all of this, but there is too much harvest and too much need and the laborers are way too few a meal, a pipe, a walk in the woods, and they were healed by the power of Christ. Ordinary people just showing up, and healing happens by the power of God's Spirit. When a group from this church goes to Miami to sing songs and play games and teach Bible and eat burgers with a group of forgotten inner-city kids... God has the power to raise the dead. Some of you volunteer in Respite Care Atlanta. Meets here on our campus giving dementia patients, primary, their primary caregiver, a break to go get the oil change, get their hair done, read a book, whatever. And When you do that, you're proclaimers of the good news. When one of you goes and picks up a member of this church who cannot drive anymore... And you take her to go get lunch and go get groceries. The demon of loneliness is cast out by the power of Christ's compassion and the fact that you showed up. Jesus had compassion for them. Then he said to his disciples The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to cure every disease and every sickness. I haven't found a figured out a more nuanced way to say this, so I'm just going to say it plain. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have been called to help, hurt, help heal a hurting world. If you are not already involved in a mission or ministry, then it is time to show up. The image of a harvest suggests when a crop is ready, there's no time to waste. There's so much pain out there. And the calling of discipleship demands that we all find some place to go grab hold of it. That we find some mission or ministry where we can show up. And unleash the healing power of the gospel. We show up. God cures the sick, raises the dead, casts out the demons. The disciples were ordinary folks, they just showed up. And by the power of God, demons were cast out. It's time to get in the game. As that supervisor told me at Crawford Long that day, they can't wait till you're good at it. Some of them are scheduled for surgery tomorrow. It's our job as the Christ followers to take some healing love into this world. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelia Baptist Church.